This morning, the message is entitled, God's DNA. What? Loving God means loving others. Now, I imagine most of you are footballed out by now, huh? You've seen the cotton bowl, the rose bowl, the candy bowl, the popcorn bowl. And uh, there's still more to come, Fiesta Bowl, all that. <clears throat> actually, <laughs> actually my, uh, my alma mater is Wisconsin. And uh, I, I didn't have a chance to watch the game, but I learned afterwards that they, they lost. So uh, the Christians defeated the pagans. <laughs> actually, I didn't learn about Jesus at Madison, Wisconsin, but I'm sure uh, some believers are there <laughs> in a remnant. <clears throat> um, I would like to challenge you this morning, as often happens uh, on a New Year day, the first Sunday in 2011, I'd like to challenge you to think about uh, reaching one other person for Christ this year. Just one other. If you did that, this church would have 1,600 people in it as opposed uh, to maybe an average of eight or 900. Think about that. I also want you to look at 2011 in the context of all eternity. R.C. Sproul, a theologian, said, oh, let's try to picture eternity. So if you would, in your mind, picture a lead ball the size of the world. Can you picture that? Lead ball the size of the world. <clears throat> now picture a little sparrow. And every thousand years, that little sparrow comes and takes a little peck out of this lead ball the size of the world. How long will it take for that sparrow to reduce that huge globe to a BB? That's a long time. Eternity is longer than that. That's why I'm challenging you to consider reaching one other person for Christ this year. Now, God's DNA, uh, we're going to look at that. Loving God means loving others. Todd told us that that is our commission. I believe it. We all are in agreement. Our elders and our staff are all committed to loving God means loving others. Except what does that look like? Well, we have this morning a video of our resident theologian, Emily Graham. Well, I've invited some friends that never go to church because I have a friend, um, Cheyenne, who, well, her mom moved away and so she's living at her grandparents' house and her dad is always at work and so she can never go to church. And so I invited her so she could learn about God. She sometimes seems interested in going, and so I ask her, I say, like, maybe this Sunday do you want to come to our church because it's uh, this church play, and so you could come and watch it. And she always seems interested in going. I bring them to kind of get them more involved in church stuff and things that we do here that then gets them interested and then they come and learn a lot more about God. There's this girl, Megan, who nobody plays with her because they think she's like kind of dumb and a dork and so they kind of mess around with her and are really mean to her. And um, 
this girl who's being really mean to everybody, she said, well, if you're friends with Megan, I'm not gonna be friends with you because like she's weird and she's a dork and she's dumb and so, I said, well, I'm gonna go over and be friends, I'm gonna be friends with Megan and I'm gonna play with her. Who cares what you say because like, I'm gonna be nice to everybody and I'm gonna play with her even though you say she, not to. You should always remember to like love God, even like when you're away from church all the time and then to love others, to like be kind to them and to be nice to everybody. We should teach people who do believe good things so that they go out into the world and tell other people about them. Then they come to church and then they believe and then they tell other people about it and it goes on forever. So what have we learned from Emily? We have learned um, basically the DNA of God. And we are in a moment going to weave this DNA into the message and the text for this morning in Matthew chapter 12. But I hope as you listen to Emily, uh, I consider her one of our, our evangelists that is unashamed to share Christ without any reserve. Even as she jumped into Evergreen Lake on New Year's Day, she and her mom, we have pictures of that. Anyway, let me give you the outline of our little acrostic for this morning, which is the practical outworking of God's DNA. What, uh, but first of all, uh, yeah, let's, let's just put, uh, give you the D. The D in uh, our little acrostic is Emily. What if, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, I missed the other part, didn't I? Mission. Can we get back to that slide? I got a little sidetracked, thank you. What was Emily's mission? It's to seek and to save the lost. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said in the context of Zacchaeus, the worst of the worst, Zacchaeus, a tax collector, he says that our mission is to seek and to save the lost. That's what we learned from Emily. Emily's method is what? It is loving God means loving others. That's the way we got, what we got from her <clears throat> uh, statement and her theology. We find that that is the message up here on, uh, above us. Loving God means loving others. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment of all is. We can read about that in Matthew chapter 22. And he says, <clears throat> love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Except, how is that done practically? How do we do that? How do we put shoe leather to that? Well, that's God's DNA. And you'll see then specifically what is God's DNA? Wouldn't you be asking that question by now? I would think so. I would hope so. What is God's DNA? I didn't know God had DNA. Well, this is the way God reaches. This is the way God, and in Christ, connects loving God with loving others. So let's look at it. The D in our acrostic, this is where 
uh, we want to be is deliberately disarming. If you look at a child like Emily, she's deliberately disarming. Jesus said, unless you change and you come as a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He said that to his disciples. To change, to become as a child, God's uh, technique is he is deliberately disarming. He is naturally expectant. Emily was naturally expectant. When she talks to her friend, she expects them to respond. Whether they're Christian or non-Christian, doesn't matter. Come on with me. You'll have a good time. You'll have fun and you will learn about God unapologetically from the mouth of a child. All inclusive, all included, everyone, even dorks. <laughs> Thank you, Emily, for that title. The least likely, the people that are the uh, outcasts. When Jesus said uh, the poor in the spirit, he meant the dorks. He meant the people that nobody cares about and nobody loves, but he does. So God's DNA. Now, let's go to our text for this morning. Our text for this morning is Matthew chapter 12, verses 29 through, excuse me, 39 through 41. And I'd like you to read this with me, if you would. So I'm, I'm expecting to hear from all of you. Are you ready? There it is on the board. Then some of the Pharisees, I can't hear you. Maybe it's my hearing, I, my hearing in my left ear. This left side has to do it a lot louder over here so it's balanced. Are you ready? Okay. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and an adulterous generation ask for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. <clears throat> the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. As we look at this text, as we look at how did Jesus connect loving God with loving others, we will once again see this acrostic, D-N-A. I have to put it into <clears throat> the context, and uh, the context here are the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They ask the question, who are the Sadducees and the Pharisees? These are what you might say today religious bigots. They are intolerant and uh, they are judgmental and they are venomous in that all. Jesus, Jesus, if you look at the scripture, had already lined up a whole series of miracles including casting out demons. Except he is saying to them, I will not give you a sign. You want me to perform for you? I'm not going to perform for you. I'm not going to do it your way. I'm going to do it the Father's way. <clears throat> the Father's way, although miracles are a part of what God does, they are not necessarily a reflection of who he is. In Matthew 24, 24, it says that even false Christ will do miracles. So if you gravitate to the miraculous and miss the DNA, you've missed God. 
The Pharisees are asking the question, show us hard evidence. Show us God's DNA, are they not? And, and Jesus, I can see Jesus with, with fire in his eyes. Fire in his eyes, but also a chuckle on his face. Because he's about to refer to the sign of Jonah. And Jonah is a comedy. It's hilarious to the, to the Hebrew. By the way, the Hebrew person, your Jewish friends, still read the book of Jonah at the end of Yom Kippur. Because it's all about redemption and all about repentance. So here we go. Jesus is deliberately disarming. You want to see hard evidence? I will give you hard evidence. It's the sign of Jonah. Now, if you were listening to Todd last year, gosh, that was a long time ago. If you were listening to Todd last year, he said about the sign of Jonah that you and I are the sign of Jonah. Are we not? Every one of us that chooses to love God by loving others is the sign of Jonah today. Now he's about to show you how. <laughs> if you've ever shared your faith with somebody else, I, I just want to give you a, a little insight. You have to explain to them what Christianity isn't before you explain to them what it is. Because people are so absolutely culturally polluted as far as what the true DNA of God is. And that's why Jesus came across as deliberately disarming. We have two themes here, two words, redemption and repentance. <clears throat> Jesus said three days, three nights. The, the letter three has to do with redemption. It has to do with salvation. It has to do with search and rescue. God loves you so much that he wants you in. That's redemption. God wants you so much that he redeemed you. He paid the price so that you can be in. That's redemption. The letter three is the reference to redemption. Three days, three nights, Jonah's in the belly. In spite of his disobedience, God saves him. <laughs> so, three days and three nights, I will be in the belly of the earth. What is he saying? Redemption. You'll see in a moment. And then he says Nineveh. Nineveh will actually stand in judgment on this generation. Do you know how bad Nineveh is? They're bad. You'll see in a moment. That's repentance. The thing that Nineveh had going for them is they repented. They changed. They changed the direction. They saw their filth and they came to God. And that's what they had going for them. That was all they had going for them. <clears throat> Redemption, repentance. Deliberately disarming. Let me just clue you in on the message that you deliver to your friends this year. You are basically telling them that God is on a cross. God on a cross, that's not supposed to be. Yes, they, uh, God stepped out of eternity into time in the form of a man. Fully God, fully man, son of God, son of man. A little baby from the little hands reached out from a cradle to a cross, to a crown, and the crown is placed on you. The crown of forgiveness, the crown of freedom given to you. That's disarming. That is literally disarming. And then to tell the Pharisees, the religious bigots, that Nineveh will stand in judgment on them. Funny. Hilarious. <clears throat> so I ask you the question, are you a religious bigot? 
Or are you deliberately disarming? I hate to say it, but often Christians come along and come across as religious bigots. We seem to think we know it all. We seem to think we want to impose our stuff on other people and they are offended because you don't come across as real. You don't come across as transparent. You don't come across as even caring. You look at them as sort of a little notch on your spiritual belt. Maybe it's time for us to begin to truly love God, which would mean to love others. I have to ask myself the question. Often in Christianity we become cloistered. We like our little church. We're happy here and uh, protected. But to talk to a non-believer, to risk uh, venturing out, to talk to them about our faith and our love for Christ is almost seen culturally as a taboo. I'm strong to the finish because I must spin it, said Popeye. <laughs> I don't think the church has been eating much spinach. I really don't. I think we are spiritually impotent. Because if we really were dynamic with the love of God, this place would be packed. It should be packed. Not because we're looking for numbers, but we're looking for eternity. Remember? Eternity. So this message of ours is deliberately disarming, and we're not going to be able to deliver it well if we're religious bigots. So we must examine ourselves. Do I love Christ? And do I love people? Well, the book of Jonah is comical because uh, it's an example of how not to be a prophet of God. <laughs> which takes us into naturally expectant. I'm going to go through the book of Jonah in about 10 minutes, well, seven minutes, and I am going to show you uh, how God, when he speaks in his loving way to us, expects us to respond. And he re expects us to respond with obedience. Isn't that funny? A loving father would always give the best advice to their children, and the wise child would be the one that listens and obeys. So let's put that into the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is all about uh, the disconnect of loving God means loving others. <laughs> it's funny. So Jonah is given the mission. First chapter, first verse. Jonah, the mission is to seek and to save the lost. Reach the Ninevites, please. God would expect, yes sir. Jonah says, no. No, don't want to do it. And so rather than going on a mission, he goes on a med cruise. That's what he does. Goes from Joppa on to Tarshish. And off he goes. You see, God expects us to be responsive and obedient. Um, everything you'll see in the book of Jonah, everything and everyone obeys. Everything says yes sir, but Jonah. So we have a breakdown here. Jonah, you say you love God and you hate Nineveh? Is there a french fry missing from this happy meal? <laughs> but that's the purpose of humor. Humor is disarming. And maybe that french fry is missing in our lives. As a church, do we love God so much so that we have a compassion and a love for the, the, the worst of the worst? So anyway, I'm going to give you Jonah. <clears throat> Jonah's running. Now, watch how everything and everyone obeys and Jonah doesn't. 
God speaks to the wind. Says, wind, would you please uh, increase your velocity? Yes, sir. Sea, would you begin to bring a huge storm on this ship? Yes, sir. Now we have a, a captain, a salty sea captain. This is my territory because I was in the Navy, came to Christ in the Navy. I have been in a sea in a carrier where 60 to 80 foot swells broke over uh, the bow of the ship and tore the catwalk off. That's a storm. And you feel powerless in a storm. So anyway, the captain of the ship comes to Jonah. Jonah's now in the bilge of the ship. And he says, wake up! <laughs> you see, Jonah, the prophet of God, should be saying, wake up! But he's the one that needs to be woken up by a pagan captain. So the pagan captain says, wake up! Would you please get your attention of your God so that he could settle this out and we all live? You have to understand the humor here. This is kind of like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Jack Sparrow, right? Jack Sparrow uh, it, it comes to Rick Warren and says, Rick, you need a little more purpose in your life. <laughs> it's funny. It is. Now the sailors come. And the sailors say, yes, sir, God. And the sailors come to Jonah and they say, Jonah, who are you? What are you doing on our ship? Why our ship? And so Jonah goes into this, what is called the pastoral or the, the very reverend kind of uh, conversation. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Very pomp. And I worship the God that created the heavens and the earth and the sea. Oh. So the sailors roll their eyes. And they say, you are running from the God that created the heavens and the earth and the sea on a boat? Loser! <laughs> you know? <laughs> so then they got the sailor thing going. And finally, uh, they cast lots. Jonah loses. And into the water he goes. The sailors are still trying to rescue him. The sailors are trying to do the work of a prophet. Everybody, even the pagans, the wind, the sea, the captain, the sailor, yes, sir, all obey God, except Jonah. Now, <clears throat> Jonah is in the belly of a fish. In fact, God actually spoke to the fish, and he said, Fish, I have a mission for you. I have a mission. Uh, search and rescue, I want you to pick up uh, Jonah. He's uh, right here. He's going to go over the ship right here. Just grab him. Uh, swallow, don't chew. <laughs> and uh, keep him for three days down there and then spit him out. <clears throat> yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. The fish obeys. Chapter 2, we have Jonah praying. He's not praying for Nineveh. He's praying for himself. And at the end of that prayer, uh, Jonah's a short book. I hope you read it. At the end of that prayer, he says, I know that you are the God who saves. Finally, Jonah got that straight. But uh, he speaks of... Jonah, he speaks of Nineveh in a derogatory way. He says, Nineveh, they're the ones who worship this worthless idol. <clears throat> and uh, they don't even know the grace of God. But I do. Really? Really, you know the grace of God? You're certainly not acting like it. Okay, so we, we head into... Um, we, we, we would see that God would expect Jonah to obey. 
And finally, he reluctantly gets back onto the mission, chapter 3. And this is where we get into the all included. Chapter 3 of Jonah, you'll find uh, uh, chapter 2 ends with Jonah on the regurgitron train. <laughs> the Hebrew word actually says all the contents of the whale, uh, of the fish's stomach came up with Jonah. And he's heaved up chucked on the ground. Just in the right place to head to Nineveh. How long did it take him? Three days, three nights. Three is the number four. Redemption. God is in the saving business and he's going to do it in spite of you and me. He will save Nineveh in spite of us. Wouldn't you rather cooperate? Jonah didn't, but... So here he is, filled with, I don't know, whale vomit. Not a pretty picture. Comes up and he says the most outrageous sermon you'll ever hear in your life. He says, 40 days and you die. I guess the good part of it was, was short. It was short. <laughs> 40 days and you die. Well, 40 days is the picture of repentance. Now... Jonah was not expecting anything. He was hoping and praying and wanted deep in his heart because he hate, hated Nineveh. He wanted them to all burn. Give you 40 days and you burn. Except they all repented. All of them. If you read the, the book, it's amazing, but the king, the guy who ran the show, repented. And he, and he had all of his people repent. And all of them were wearing sackcloth. And sackcloth was a covering to say, I am so filthy. I bring nothing to God. I am so filthy that I'm going to cover myself with sackcloth to show that I really repent. How bad was Nineveh? How bad? Well, I am going to consult with my uh, resident uh, researchers, uh, Evan and Joseph Verbal. They did some research for me. This is their work, not mine, so if you're offended, it's their fault. Nineveh was bad. They were bad to the bone. Nineveh uh, were people, they were like terrorists, like Osama bin Laden. They were like Al-Qaeda. They were terrorists for Assyria. Let me give you some of their terrorist tactics. They would take their enemy and feed them fruit, a lot of fruit. And they'd bury them, and their heads just above the, uh, above the dirt. And when you eat that much fruit, you will defecate. The worms then come to eat that and then they eat you. Nice guys, huh? There's another thing the Ninevites did is uh, any opening in your body, they would take a stick or some kind of a spear and just jam it through. Those are nasty people. The worst of the worst. You know, just like Zacchaeus. The worst of the worst. Maybe then you and I qualify, huh? If that be the case. The worst of the worst. Are you naturally expectant even of the worst of the worst? You see, Jonah gave up. But God says, don't ever give up. The person that's least likely to come to Christ, can you picture them? They will come if you will share deliberately, disarmingly, and, and you'll be naturally expectant. Don't ever give up, please. 
but also realize that all are loved and all are included by God. So we have Jonah now, the entire 120,000 Ninevites repent. They are all wearing sackcloth and so also the cattle. That's funny to a Hebrew because cattle with, with funny, funny. I mean, that's, that's overkill to, to a Hebrew reader. Well, so we have, you would think this would be a happy ending. All of Nineveh has repented. Jonah is thrilled, only he's not. Chapter 4 gets into a very angry man. Why was Jonah angry? He actually went east, and uh, when he went, it was east of Nineveh, he said, I want to die. I just want to die. Now, this is an interesting, if you read chapter 4, you'll find that he quotes uh, Exodus 34, chapter 6. You and I know Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Jonah, as a Hebrew, would know Exodus 34, chapter uh, 6. It's all about, God, I know that you, God, are a compassionate God. You are a merciful God. You are slow to anger. You are a loving God. But guess what Jonah leaves out? One word. Faithful. Jonah Jonah is saying to God, and it's quite an in-your-face God, faithful? You weren't faithful to what I wanted. I wanted Nineveh to burn, and you didn't do it, and you didn't keep to your judgment. That's the way Pharisees are. That's the way the religious bigots are. They want vengeance. They want Y2K. Have everything burn. Except God chose to save them. Jonah's mad, angry. May I ask you a question? Are you angry this morning? Because chances are, if you're really angry this morning, angry at people, angry at the world, angry at everybody, it's possible, just possible, you're angry at God. And you'll remain angry until you settle it. Jonah remained an angry man right to the end. Except God, (laughs) in the last part of the conversation with Jonah, he says, what are you angry about? He provides a vine, remember? Talks to a vine. Vine, would you grow up in the desert, please? Yes, sir. (laughs) And then uh, uh, a day later, he provides a worm. Worm, would you eat the vine? Yes, sir. (laughs) Everybody's listening to God except Jonah. Jonah says, I want to die. I just want to die. Oh, I'm going to hold my breath. Why does Jonah want to die? Because he's angry at God. Because God didn't burn and fry the Ninevites. He saved them. The end of the chapter, he says, <clears throat> so Jonah, you would rather 120,000 people went to hell? Is that what you want, Jonah? Because it's not what I want. When I say all included, I mean all. That's all all means, all included. So there you have it, God's DNA. Deliberately disarming, naturally expectant, all included. That's the way we take loving God. It means loving others. Would you like to learn how to do that? We're going to offer a class on the 23rd. I talked uh, uh, to our staff and I talked to Paul. So uh, there's a class starting the 23rd on Sunday morning. 
like to have all of you come. Paul Wiggs and I are going to merge our classes. I wrote a book and I rewrote it. Uh, it's called Cross Training. And it will give you practical handles on how to take our faith, take your faith, and uh, communicate it in a way that's deliberately disarming, <clears throat> in a way that is naturally expectant, and in a way that is all included. Fellowship Hall, 9.30, January 23rd. Let me close with this. Uh, in the Navy, I came to Christ, as you well know. I was a search and rescue helicopter pilot in Vietnam. Uh, I was very close to our rescue swimmers. And uh, most of the time, the guys knew me because uh, I just got together with them and we all got smashed together. That's what you do in the Navy. That's how you do R&R, &R, you just get drunk. Only now I came to Christ. And I'm still at the party, I'm just not getting drunk. I don't even think I was drinking. And one of our rescue air crewmen came up, Dudek was his name, still remember. He said, in, in a slur, he said, you know, I, I, I already know I'm going to hell. Really? Yeah, he said, the church that I go to says, you know, there are certain people that are predestined to hell, and others that are predestined to heaven, I'm predestined to hell. Mm. Well, I'm a new Christian. I don't know hardly nothing. But I did know one verse. John 3.16 came to mind. God, I said to Dudek, I said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever. Are you a whosoever, Dudek? <laughs> I'm a whosoever. That whosoever believes would not perish, but have everlasting life. If, uh, how can we write people off if God works so deeply to, to write them in? Would you bow with me? Lord, this morning um, we are challenged again to do something really significant this new year. Maybe some people want to lose weight or they want to change a habit or whatever. That's good, except it really doesn't have an impact on forever. But reaching one other person for Christ does. This church should have 1,600 people in it by the end of next year. If That's a way to measure our mission. Are we actually doing what you told us to do? But the way that's done is clear. You modeled it uh, greatly. Loving God means loving others. And the way you did it, Lord, is quite clear, at least in this text it is. You were deliberately disarming. You were naturally expectant. You expect out of the masses of people, some will come. And you are all-inclusive, everybody. The worst of the worst. That means I qualify. That means every person in this sanctuary qualifies. We think we're bad, not as bad as the Ninevites, but the Ninevites are in. Are you in? If you've never invited Christ into your life, would you, in the quiet of your heart? He's knocking at the door, but he will not push his way in. He simply is a gentleman. Would you invite him in? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I'm starting the new year with a new life. I want you in my life. I ask you, volitionally, in my heart right now, to come into my life, to forgive me, and to fill me. And I thank you for doing that, because that's your deepest desire. And I can walk out of here as a follower of Christ. If it were a crime to be a follower of Christ, is there 
enough DNA evidence, a forensic examination to convict us? I would hope we would be determined to leave a legacy behind of your DNA, Lord. We're here because somebody left your DNA in our life. We want others to be in because you have uh, used them to invest in us. Thank you for Emily for her uh, brave heart and her joy of sharing you like a child. And uh, if you are here and if you commit your life to Christ, we'd love you to come forward and tell us and pray with us. We're here to help you grow. And by the way, if you really want to grow, we really challenge you to, to come to this class, to learn how to receive cross-training and uh, to have an impact, make a difference for Christ in the world in which we live. We pray that in Jesus' name. And now may the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for coming. Come back next week. Bring a friend, please. <laughs>